See, there's a world around you that you've trained yourself not to see. Call it paranormal, supernatural, cult, whatever. But inside all of us is an uncontrollable fear of the dark. Kids are told it's irrational, but it's not. Fear is what protects you from the things you don't believe in. I learned the truth a long time ago. Just because you can't see something doesn't mean it can't kill you. Welcome to Now Playing Podcasts Alone in the Dark Retrospective Series. My mommy says that there's nothing to be afraid of in the dark. Your mother's wrong, kid. Being afraid of the dark is what keeps most of us alive. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. My kind of mission. Good luck. Hosted by Arnie. You're carrying enough baggage for the both of us, trust me. Justin. Oh, well, there's intel we need. I trust him. And Stuart. After all these years, I'm immune to witchcraft crap. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. That information's classified. That means it's none of your fucking business. We've got this under control. Thank you. I don't need your help. Listener discretion is advised. I'm sure you had some idea how it might play out. Everyone has to die in the end. Today we're discussing Alone in the Dark 2, starring Rick Yoon, Rachel Spector, and Lance Henriksen, otherwise known as Lance I'll Do Anything for a Paycheck Henriksen. <laughs> you may recognize him from everything. Yeah, five years after Mangler 2, he's come to this. And he told me Mangler 2 was a alimony payment. Maybe this was too. I know somebody's paying. It's not Uva Bull. No, it's directed by Michael Roche and Peter Shearer. My new favorite curse word. <laughs> because a movie of this quality takes two people to fuck up this badly. <laughs> is it a Super Mario Brothers thing where one director is telling the guest to do one thing and then the other one comes along afterwards and say, no, do the complete opposite? I thought this was supposed to get better without Uva Bull. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and... My mom taught me, if I don't have anything nice to say at all, not to say anything at all. So, Justin Stewart, do you recommend <laughs> Alone in the Dark 2? <laughs> <laughs> Woo, yeah, Stewart, I'm still here. I'm not quite alone in the dark. I'm still here as well, Justin. Just when you thought it couldn't get darker than Uva Bull. Yeah, I predicted with just extracting him from the process, this should easily fix many of the problems that we had last week. No, it seems to exacerbate it. Why does this exist? Alone in the Dark was a failure. A failure on all counts. Why would you make failure part two? Atari was planning another Alone in the Dark game. I mean, you talked about the product placements and the tie-ins to the video games. Yeah, not another one. That one that they were going to put out in 2005 with the first movie was finally ready to come out in 2008. So yeah, can we do a quickie, I'll call them a, a theatrical commercial by making a second movie? You're right. Maybe that's all that it was. I can tell you this. They weren't throwing Germany money at this production. This thing was done real quick and pretty much in the dark without Uwe Boll using the screenwriters, one of many of the screenwriters, I should point out, from the original project here. Are you going to tell me that this was actually made as Alone in the Dark 2? This wasn't some other movie that they had already shot and canned and somebody's like, ooh, 
Just called Alone in the Dark 2. Nope. It was made as Alone in the Dark 2, direct to video. It had one quarter the budget of the original. The original, they started with 10 million and got bumped to 20. This one was made for under 5 million, but it always was direct to video. I mean, what does it mean when Uva Bowl won't do your movie? <laughs> well, he is making 10 other movies at the time. It's not like he's retired. At the same year, he made Far Cry and Blood Rain 2. Maybe he just didn't have a free week to cough this up. This was made in. <laughs> In 18 days, this film. And it was filmed in L.A. They worked stateside this time. So they took their $4.5 million and proceeded to spend it in one of the most expensive countries to film in. <laughs> so the first one was set in L.A. but shot in Vancouver. This one's shot in L.A. but set in New York. Okay, got it. And it looks so Manhattan all the time, doesn't it? There's one moment where I'm like, wait a minute, this is fucking Manhattan? They didn't even change the poster. I mean, I think someone graffiti, they wrote, Uva Bowl sucks dick on the poster. They run up with some red spray paint, spray that to cover it and say, hey, this will work. I mean, yeah, they're recycling everything. A lot of these cast members are in other Uva Bowl films at that same time that they had and said, okay, Michael Paré, walk over here and do this bit and so yeah you just have a complete recycling of everything we had the last time and yet nothing nothing here feels like a continuation of alone in the dark you know i'm all for racially blind casting but when you take your main character from christian slater and turn him into rick yoon it feels more <laughs> like a reboot than a sequel <laughs> you usually can't tell a whole lot about a movie by the poster and you probably shouldn't read too much into it but there is something going on on this movie poster that actually does lend to the amount of effort that's going to go into making this movie. Like Stuart said, it's an exact replica of the first poster that they did two scratch marks after the title. And then somebody walked by and was like, is that supposed to be a part two? And they're like, screw it. Put an actual number two in front of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they're taking anything from the games at this point, Alone in the Dark 2, the video game, Back in 1994, Carnby did Battle the Witch. That was the storyline. It was about a child abduction that ended up being a witch curse at a house. So there's that element. And then the Alone in the Dark 2008 game did involve all the action happening at Central Park. But had more monsters and more mythos and characters. And otherwise, these filmmakers in the commentary, they freely admit we were not following any games. We were not following maybe any plan at all. I think they played the game because having played one part of the 2008 one and part of two, there are certain tropes here that feel in the spirit of the games, like mystic weapons that if you touch will hurt you as much as it hurts your enemy and special daggers and that sort of thing. Learning the backstory as you go through, it felt like, again, it could be a plot of one of the games and yet... It isn't. What it doesn't feel like, again, is Carnby's movie. You said that about the last one. In this one, he spends half the movie in bed. Yeah, and in the behind-the-scenes featurette, yes, they bothered. Jason Connery, Sean's son, we all love his work, but he's here for five seconds. He admits fans might be a little disappointed that the same amount of care for special effects is not applied, but they did really want to capture the spirit and the feel of the video game. I'm going to argue they actually captured the 
feel of being alone in the dark. Literally. <laughs> like the viewer is just stumbling around, groping into a void, trying to grab onto a plot, trying to grab onto a character, trying to find a camera shot that will establish what is going on on screen. I watched this movie today three times in a row. <laughs> Because I knew folks wanted me to say something cogent, intelligible, and I am still in the dark. Justin, I'm afraid we're going to have to stop recording. I need to take Stuart to the ER. <laughs> Nobody can possibly <laughs> suffer that mental trauma and come out the other side. So we're just going to delay the show. Yeah, can we just go to the pot, Summy? Because that will entertain me greatly, Arnie. Why don't you tell us what this movie is about? Because I don't know. I don't know. There's a witch and there's a dagger. Go. Yeah, did you stub your toe on a plot summary somewhere in the dark? <laughs> I did watch this alone in the dark because my wife saw some of the first one and did literally leave me alone to watch the second one. I also, I didn't watch this one twice, but I did find myself rewinding. At one point, I rewound an entire half an hour because things are like, wait, when did Danny Trejo join the cast? <laughs> and where did he go? <laughs> It's like he showed up to have a beer with somebody. Yeah. Just hey, Danny, get in the shop. He and Bill Mosley were trying to find their way to Rob Zombie's set of Halloween, and they wound up here <laughs> for like half a day, and then they're gone. Here's what I put together on watching this thing in what felt like memento style. Oh, I'm going to back up five minutes. Rick Yoon plays Edward Carnby, a paranormal investigator. I think. I'm honestly not quite sure. <laughs> when a junkie named Xavier, who they spend more time setting up than they do Carnby, <laughs> tells Carnby about a magical dagger the cokehead saw some people hide in a public bathroom, <laughs> Carnby decides to look into it. <laughs> Please go on. I can't stop, but you can go on. The dagger is under the magic of a witch named Elizabeth Dexter. Not Elizabeth Montgomery, because that would be bewitched. <laughs> <laughs> and she's too good for this shit. And Elizabeth Dexter uses her power to have Xander stab Carnby. This infects the investigator, and he's taken into the care of a group of witch hunters. They include Dexter, played by Bill Mosley. His daughter, Natalie, played by Rachel Spector. And then there's Boyle and Perry, played by Danny Trejo. Dexter calls upon his father's associate, master witch hunter Abner Ludenberg, played by Lance Henriksen, for help. Abner gives some vague advice, but avoids getting directly involved, because that would involve actually reading. <laughs> <laughs> it's revealed that the witch has learned the trick of immortality, inhabiting a series of bodies as the old one ages. Dexter's father, Ward, was a disciple of the witch, and he first sacrifices Dexter's wife to the witch in exchange for magic. He then makes a deal with the witch. She can have his granddaughter, Natalie, when she reaches a certain age. Apparently that age is very specific because she doesn't have a birthday here, which she's 24 <laughs> and three months. <laughs> and what does he get out of that? More magic. He oh. learns more tricks. Okay. But Natalie is now that age. The witch wants to inhabit the body of Natalie and along the way kills several people, including Dexter and I think Danny Trejo. She succeeds in taking control of Natalie's body, but Carnby stabs Natalie with the dagger, imprisoning the witch in the blade and returning Natalie to normal as credits roll. Oh, that's what happened. Okay. <laughs> you watched it three times. <laughs> I, there's some of 
that that's questionable, but hey, I'll go with it. In the absence of anything else, sure, why not? We start in New York. I want to just point out, the people of Earth have returned. I said last time that everyone was wiped out Abkhani style because of them opening that gate. But I guess they got assurances. Uva Bowl is not directing. You can come back and save this step in front of a camera. I love movies that are filmed in L.A. You can just tell that you get people in them you wouldn't get if you filmed in Vancouver Mm. or Germany or Atlanta. The fact that this cast is going to have Michael Pere and Danny Trejo and Bill Mosley and Lance Henriksen and PJ Souls from Halloween. (laughs) Yeah, she's needed here. You just get names you get people you're like oh yeah that's what happened to that person they're really slumming it (laughs) yeah the greatest work done here is by the casting director because they went above and beyond i actually think they just went to the local fangoria convention and took a (laughs) pipe piper like walk yeah they're looking for anybody charging less than 45 for a headshot signature And I actually think some of this cast quit because Louis starts with Michael Paré and Jason Connery and some other chick. Why can't they be the stars of this movie? We never find out their connection to anyone else. They're the Drew Barrymore of this film. (laughs) Is that what it is? It takes three of them to equal Barrymore's star power. Yeah, they want to start off by killing some celebrity deaths. We know that Jason Connery is infected with being the son of Sean Connery and not having as good a looks or acting career and is now has lines running up and down his face that are the results of a witch curse. There is a witch blade. I think that's a different series. And I think you all did it. (laughs) But yes, because he touched a dagger, he is now infected with something that will control his mind. The chick that's with him is also infected with this. So let's hide in a public bathroom in Central Park. Man, they are lucky the only thing they encounter are wisps of smoke. I was afraid we were going to be alone in the dark with George Michael. (laughs) Nobody wants that after listening without prejudice. Volume one, excuse me. (laughs) Well, I I have to applaud you for keeping up so far because they took away our wall of explanation at the beginning of this movie. I don't know what's going on. They just throw us right in here. (laughs) Yes, if you don't have a scroll, and I mean that like a parchment that you have to unscroll at the beginning. Uh, Maybe they thought this would be theatrical and they could go back old school and hand you pamphlets as you bought your tickets. (laughs) Again, why can't these just be the characters that we follow for the rest of this movie? It's very confusing that we have two scenes that are almost identical. This is the first of one where three people run into this bathroom talking some jive about a dagger and... (laughs) A dagger, not a gagger. I'm gagging a a little vomit in my mouth just thinking Thinking about this, so they have a dagger with a pull-out hilt that inside has a vial with what looks like a tequila worm inside. (laughs) But it's actually a shaving off of a heart, which I learned from the commentary is the heart of the last body the witch inhabited. Wow. Okay. Hmm. I gotta just say the commentary. It is the least useful one. Although (laughs) Uva Bowl actually at one point is like, I'm gonna stop talking now until I talk again during his commentary. This one is even less than lightning except bill mosley he hung around i don't know why maybe the catering was good but he asked the questions i wanted real answers to not why are you making this but 
what's this character doing now? Where did this person go? <laughs> he actually didn't know what happened to his own character. He's like, where am I? What, I'm like, oh, I'm dead? Oh, okay. I'm like, you know, you read the script. Like, you should know. What he happened. read his pages and took a paycheck. <laughs> what's the motivation for my goatee? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> he actually explained that. But oh. he does go on and on about how he's so happy this is a union job. This is kind of the stereotypical union job. Absolute bare minimum work for Max money. I don't think he really paid much attention to what film he was doing this week. And Black Magic is clearly at work here because they take this heart string slash tequila worm and wrap it in paper towels. We know very well because in the previous scene, this drug dealer, Xavier, is looking for paper towels and cannot find them. They pull them out of God knows where to wrap <laughs> this heart string in and set it on fire while the drug dealer is cowering in the last stall, wondering... How have things gotten so bad? I was thinking about the movie High Tension and Maniac, both of which have bathroom scenes with somebody hiding in a stall and they stop before getting to the last stall. And it's like, why are they stopping? The commentary tells me they weren't looking for a person. They were looking for some place to hide the knife and they found a pipe and stopped looking any further. <laughs> All right. So help me out. We know because they cut away to POV shots of something zooming through tree branches that they are being pursued by a creature. It manifests itself as black smoke, but is in fact a witch? Yes. Okay. And all this witch wants is the dagger. But this so far is meta knowledge that you have from watching this movie. Right, so somebody yeah. who watched Alone in the Dark and is now watching Alone in the Dark 2, I'm still thinking, okay... Here come the alien dog creatures. That's what's running through the forest. I thought the same thing. Right, yeah, because the lights are even flickering. You think Abkani, it's the same tricks. If it's a sequel, god damn it, there must be something carrying over. If not Christian Slater, at least they could get that CGI pixel monster back into this movie. But no, it's Steel is behind these video effects. He's billed as Steel. It was Toy Box last time. Is it really Shaquille? <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, <laughs> it doesn't look much better than that genie movie with Shaquille of a decade prior. But, all right, this witch just wants a knife. I just want to boil it down real simple. Here's the thing. Her motivation appears to change. The knife is the MacGuffin for the first hour of the film. Right. And then at a certain point later on, which we'll get to, they throw the knife away because she doesn't want the knife anymore. What she really wants is the girl. And then the knife is actually her kryptonite as the knife is the one thing that could kill her. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it hurts. I mean, there were things we could not string together in the last movie. There's nothing. I can string together in this movie, including bare minimum, what does any character want? But I believe from three viewings that what's happening here is a witch is coming to claim a knife. And so they need to hide it into a pipe, although they have some continuity problems because sometimes they've stuffed it in the pipe. And then sometimes Jason Connery is carving a map of Central Park into his own chest with said knife. Can you explain that one to me? Like, he gets as far as writing the KE part of the index so that someone will be able to measure against his corpse where the burial of the witch is. 
Like he's actually writing into his own flesh the burial spot on an entire map of Central Park, but only gets as far as K.E. It's not the dagger, though. He has like a Swiss Army knife he's doing that with. That's a different knife? That's a different knife. Oh, my God. You don't get that level of detail with a dagger. (laughs) (laughs) And I believe he's doing it because he's possessed now to some degree because he's been stabbed. But we don't know what that possession is. Is it the witch or is it an infection? No, no, no. He, he's trying to expose where the witch is because if they can find out where she's buried, they can stop her. And in daylight, she has no powers. So they just need to make it for the next half hour and then they can go to this spot on the map that rather than get a pen and write out for the next person to find, he's just <laughs> carving into his... Because he is having visions flashes of things that have taken place somewhere i guess he is Uh, we'll know that the next person infected is certainly getting that that this xavier drug dealer who is hiding in there and hears the deaths of michael Paré and jason connery and nameless chick off camera is also not spared he doesn't touch the dagger that turns you into the infected or does he i think he touched the dagger and then put it back in the pipe again okay Because we see the black smoke call him into his stall, but it would make more sense if he got passed over by the witch and then went out to see what happened and said, oh, look, uh, is that a dagger I see before me? little literary reference there for you. (laughs) I don't know, but I'm so interested in this movie. I'm literally reading the graffiti on the stall that he's hiding in where it says things like, I like cock personally. (laughs) 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 But yes, the hook before we get to the credits is the black smoke, which we don't know yet is a witch, coming into the stall. And then we jump to an aerial shot of New York, which the directors were very excited to discuss their helicopter tour where they did this. The word is coverage. I know that this movie was shot very quickly, and sometimes you don't get everything that you want, which is why you have second unit. You have other film crews that go back and get the details that you didn't get during the shot, and it's usually like close-ups of hands and things that we can see. There is so much that is happening in this movie that is out of frame or not done in close-up that we cannot establish that I'm literally screaming that not another shot of New York Central Park, please. Please show me what he's carving into his chest because I don't understand what is going on. I don't understand when three days later that that man in the hoodie is the same guy that was the drug dealer in the scene with the bathroom. Like, it takes me forever to realize that this is a guy who's now infected with the witch curse and asking for help from a brand new Edward Carnby. Yeah, the thing about Xavier there... The only reason I could keep track of him is because I actually recognized him as the brother from Freddy vs. Jason, the one who (laughs) slid his wrists in the bathtub and has a striking resemblance to Danny Bonaducci. Uh, We will be seeing him again. He is the star of Postal. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, and I recognize that guy. There's a bad sitcom a while ago called Titus. With Christopher Titus, the comedian, and he played his brother. It was him, Stacy Keach, and Christopher Titus, and that's all I remember about the show. But every time I see <laughs> Zach Ward pop up, I'm like, oh, Titus's brother. 
I wonder if we discussed that because I'm looking him up now. He's done 122 things, and one of them was Resident Evil Apocalypse. So we've seen him before with a video game film. But you want to establish that this is a character carrying over from the previous scene. You don't want the audience to not understand that that man under that hoodie is the same guy. But he looks nothing alike because now he has the lines in his face. And yeah, Rick Hume looks nothing like Christian Slater. He does look a little bit more like the character in the video game, in the later iteration. The character in the first three games was middle-aged, balding, and redhead with a mustache. It was the 30s. Right. But the character that got rebooted in the 2001 New Nightmare Alone in the Dark game did have a vaguely Asian, dark hair, youngish kind of quality that maybe they're getting closer to the game here by casting Rick Dune. I don't know. When I saw the later incarnations of the game, I thought he looked more like the rejected lead singer of the Black Crows than... An Asian, but I guess if you cut his hair, maybe Rick Yoon, maybe, I don't know. You know what? Colorblind casting, get an actor who can act in the role. I don't care what they are. I don't care if it's a two-foot-tall albino. Get him in this role, but... Rick Yoon, he doesn't do much at all in this movie. Watching this movie the first time, I did start this movie on one night and then have to do it again the next because it put me to sleep. I literally was falling asleep no matter how much coffee I was drinking. I realized the opening of this movie feels like it's not going to suck. The opening of this movie makes me think this is going to be better. Yep. We have recognizable faces coming in. We have an obvious MacGuffin, which is a good storytelling element that everybody can recognize. We're all after the dagger. The bad person's after the dagger. We're bringing in our lead character, Carnby, and he's going to find the dagger, and they're going to break into a morgue. I am with this movie until the second bathroom scene, and it all just comes to a grinding halt. Yeah, that's what I mean, is that they almost repeat the opener to the point you have to ask, why did we even have the opening if we're going to do it again? That Carnby, okay, still a paranormal investigator. You ask, what does he do in this film? The one thing that he's brought in to do is to help this man that's infected with a witch curse deal with this curse. He doesn't know anything about this curse. He offers no talismans, not even a placebo, nothing to help this man with his problem. I'd ask for my money back, frankly. Is he even paid? Yeah, they hand him an envelope of cash. Xavier is describing all of the problems and the witch and everything, and all Carnby says is, I might be interested in the dagger. I thought he was taking a lead in exchange for fortune hunting. He wants to see what this mystical dagger is. And again, if this character ever opened up a book and did what any stereotypical paranormal investigator would do and tell us about ancient lore and the history of this witch or this dagger or something, that would be considered helpful. But the only thing Rick Yu knows what to do is how to break into the basement of a morgue and look at the bodies that this guy would have already seen having survived the attack in the bathroom. Which gives them an excuse to be somewhat alone in the dark here. Alone in the dark together. Yeah. Ooh. (laughs) But we finally get a better look at what we're supposed to be afraid of. The men's room. And still up to this point, I'm still thinking alien dogs. 
That's what I'm expecting coming down the hall. I was too. And yeah, this is the second bathroom scene. I guess the point of the first one is it brought me into the action. I really was curious about what was going on. And it lets us know what's going to happen the second time. It's setting up suspense. It's creating a pattern so that it's more tense when it's somebody we're supposed to care about. Although I don't know why I should care about Carnby. It is strictly presumed empathy for people who've played the game or watched and actually liked the previous movie. Yeah, let me help this movie out a lot. We don't start with Michael Paré in a bathroom. We start with Rick Yoon doing something that brings him into the idea of this dagger. Where he's now an active character chasing a dagger and it leads him to this bathroom where this junkie is going to stab him and say, oh, you want the dagger? Here it is. Let's see if you can handle this witch's curse now that you're infected. But yeah, instead we get a repeat of the opener and it's redundant. And being the virgin here to this entire property, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even catch, like, the name Carnby didn't stick with me from the first one. I didn't catch it this time. I didn't even realize that that was supposed to be a carryover character. Oh, wow. Or the thing that ties back to the original game. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I can see that, of course. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing here to tell you that's Christian Slater. (laughs) (laughs) Quite the opposite, really. I guess what I'm saying is I didn't get that thread. Knowing nothing of the game, I didn't realize, okay, maybe this is the character, no matter who's playing him, that you would know from the game. Yeah, why not just have it be a random person and continue the monster? If you can't afford Christian Slater and Tara Reid and Steven Dorff, then yeah, you just keep the same... (laughs) Same monster. Can't afford them. Stop. (laughs) Just stop. (laughs) Go back and make a student film and get some funding so you can say, "Hey, look, we afforded these out of work once works." Yeah, although they carry more cachet in the genre, I do feel like Bill Mosley causes association with. Rob Zombie films and, yeah, Lance Hendrickson, Aliens, and all the other stuff of varying quality that he's made. He's making me wish for AVP in this film. But, yeah, I do feel like there is a certain cachet to these people. The problem is not that they've gotten worse actors. The problem seems to be that there's nothing for them to do now that they're here. We have a whole lot of the middle of the movie being about... A family dragging the stabbed Carnby back to their house and debating what they should do next. Remember Blade 2 when it felt a lot more about the royal vampires and about the vampire hunters than it did about Blade? Yeah. That's what I feel here. These people weren't really so interested in telling a Carnby story, but a family witch story. Justin, you said, was this filmed as something else and then they like dubbed over the name to make it part of the movie? I don't think that, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was a spec somebody had written about witch hunting after Blair Witch, you know? Mm-hmm. This is the Where Bitch Project, but <laughs> I'm wondering if given the time, they might have been like, I have an idea for a witch film. They're hot now. And they decide to do this because this movie's pacing falls off a cliff. When Carnby gets stabbed, he's put in a bed and we're watching these new characters who just run into the bathroom apropos of nothing. Yes. I don't know if he had the shits. Yeah. What's no, going on? They have a tracker just like the first people had a tracker. Although don't confuse them. They have nothing to do with the other witch hunters. <laughs> they just also happen to have the same equipment and the same mission to find where the witch is buried so they can stop her forever. Because 
All right, let's try. Let us try to parse this out. All right, we have Bill Mosley as Dexter. And Dexter has a daughter named Natalie who is in danger of being possessed by the witch. Yes, because her grandfather, which was Dexter's dad, Ward, Ward Dexter, there's Dexter and Ward Dexter. We never know Bill Mosley's Dexter's first name. He's just Dexter. But his father, Ward Dexter, we're going to find out at the end, is a disciple of the witch, though Dexter Mosley thought he was a witch hunter. He really wanted the witch's power. And so after killing Dexter's wife, he offered Natalie as the next sacrifice. And only Lundberg has this information. Yes, which is Lance Hendrickson. It was a disciple of Ward's who is very confusingly looks like Ward. It took me one viewing of the movie before I realized that all these flashbacks that Carby is having where he's seeing a man kneeling at a rock with a fireplace poker, talking to the screen and saying, where is the dagger? That that wasn't Lance Hendrickson. I actually thought the whole time <laughs> that was Lance Hendrickson and it was the man that Lance Hendrickson was fighting. I thought the whole time this thing was filmed in Germany because they've got this third witch hunter with a deep German accent for no reason that I can figure out. Yeah, poor Arnold ripoff the whole time. Yeah, he he was even in a Conan syndicated TV series. That's his claim to fame. Ralph Mulder. <laughs> fun name, but not a fun part. Yes, it's a lame crew. I would have much preferred to be with Michael Paré and Jason Connery. But here we are in this house... So if all they want to know is where the witch is, and anyone that gets stabbed with the dagger is going to come to the witch, why not just follow Carnby to where the witch's lair is since she's beckoning him in every scene to come to her? But he looks in a mirror in his vision, so now she's coming to them. Ugh. Because that makes sense. But the whole point is she can't get out of the grave because she was buried alive. So she needs to free herself. That's the thing is we keep being told that she's trapped and needs to get out. And I see no evidence of this because this chick is popping up everywhere. In every scene, we see some woman in a hoodie walking around making sparks fly in the air. But yes, we are to understand ultimately she was buried alive and is looking for someone to free her from her too. I think. <laughs> <laughs> It's all very confusing. You're right. Are they looking for her? Or are they trying to protect themselves from her? Because in the farmhouse, they have this cage built of electricities that they can stay in and she can't cross over through there. So she's been there before. That's why they have that cage. I just thought they liked chicken wire. No, I don't think she's been there before. They're pro witch hunters. This isn't their first witch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's what I was really struggling with at this point. I thought that Carnby mattered. I thought at <laughs> some point that she had done all of this stuff because listen, if all she needed was the dagger and she had the junkie guy from the bathroom and he had the dagger, why couldn't he just bring her the dagger? She must have needed Carnby into the mix. So I'm waiting for the backstory in which we find out that Carnby and this witch have crossed paths in the past somewhere for her to suddenly now be chasing him. Because at first we're told she's chasing a knife and then we're told she's chasing Carnby. And maybe at the point when she realizes it's not Christian Slater, she starts chasing <laughs> the daughter. 
<laughs> but I never know what this witch really wants or what she'll do when she finally gets it. I'm glad you don't have it after three watchings because after my one and a half plus a lot of rewinding, my first question was, and I've said this before, where did Danny Trejo come from? They're all running to the cage <laughs> and Danny Trejo just shows up. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, the cage is going to protect them. And then everyone leaves the cage except Sinclair. This one chick stays in the cage and dies. And everyone else is just like wandering around through the house. That's because they lost power. It only works. No, the daughter is wandering around upstairs. Carnby's in the living room. Yeah, Bill Mosley and Trejo are in the basement trying to fix the generator. But then nobody is in the protective witch cage. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that Mosley gets killed and his last act is to grab the ripcord because his dragging body is enough to start that. Listen, I've started a fucking mower. You could not do it that easily. <laughs> right. <laughs> and everybody in the room knows what he's doing, too. Like, don't do it. But this is where it really gets especially confusing because out of all these characters, there's yeah, there's some people that have been in a lot of stuff. But Danny Trejo is a presence on screen. You show him. And he disappears without any explanation. It's going to leave a hole. It's going to make me wonder what's happening for the rest of this movie. You look at the poster, he's second Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Hume's not even on the poster. It's Bill Mosley, Danny Trejo, and whoever the chick is. That is the above the title credits. It's like those were the stars of this film. And two of them are dead. And we still got 90 minutes to go. Well, the good news is I think the female is the star of Blood Rain. So if you want to see her naked in some girl on girl, we're going to get there. No, the star of Blood Rain is the TX from Terminator 3. The star of Blood Rain 2 and 3, when they couldn't get the TX, is this chick. <laughs> <laughs> and again, we see Uva Bowl do this a lot. Was with If you'll find an actor... In fact, I think she might be the same actress because all the women in this film, the witch and her and the woman that was killed in the bathroom in the beginning, all look like the same chick. I think she just uses different stage names. But once you work with Uva Bowl, you can't work with anyone else. Because they won't touch you with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> yeah, you're infected. <laughs> like you have a witch curse on your hand. And so, yeah, people just come back again and again to do more and more of his sequels and his shit. And the man is prolific. I mean, I will say, while he's not behind the camera here he's producing and he is making 10 other films at this time yeah it's extraordinary how many films that he's made so as the chaos ensues here they get the generator started again a few people die i'm not sure if danny trejo dies or not he does do do we see that on screen you actually never see an on-screen death i guess they couldn't afford blood but yes he we see him kind of fall out of shot Again, coverage. We never see close-ups of anything that matter. But he falls out of frame and screams, so that reads as death in this film. Aha. Uh-huh. So basically, after all the dust is settled, what we're left with Carnby, Natalie, and wannabe Arnold at this point? Yeah. Two of whom were the three who ran in there. I thought that was the entire witch-hunting posse until they had to gather in a cage. And then let's also just keep in mind Lance Hendrickson is kind of helping them. He came over. First of all, he says, I'm not involved in the occult anymore. I'm killing cows. I'm a veterinarian that's prescribing home remedies that are murdering livestock. There's this subplot where the wife comes in. PJ Souls is like, hey, remember that cow you treated? It died because he <laughs> gave a medicine. I would not feel good about like now he's coming over with his bag of tricks to give Rick Yoon some potion 
radioactive juice that he's injecting in his face like Botox. <laughs> because it confuses the witch's signal. And if the hair falls out, we know it's too much. Yeah, I think that Lance is just having fun at this point. He's like, I'm going to do whatever I want, and they're not going to fire me because I'm the biggest star in this movie. Which is saying something, but I'm really, again, confused. I mean, this is just a telltale sign of bad filmmaking. Bill Mosley's like, no, I'm not going to go to him. Absolutely not. I refuse. <laughs> Next scene, will you help me? <laughs> yeah, nothing to happen to have a change of heart. It's just literally, it's that kind of movie where people take a stance and then completely change their mind the next shot. And again, I wonder if they were directed that way with two directors, both credited as writers. Was one director A saying something that the B was contradicting and you have all of this contradictory nonsense, but it's crazy making. Yeah, you literally, every time you feel like you have a grasp on what's going on, someone will come out and say, oh, absolutely not. It's the exact opposite of what you were thinking. I share Stuart's confusion with what exactly the witch is after. There's a scene where Carnby and Natalie are crouched behind a pillar in the house and he tosses a gun out and the witch goes and checks it out. And then the dagger starts to sing out and he quiets it. What is happening in this scene? Does she want the dagger? Does she want him? Does she want her? And why does him putting his hand over the blade do anything? Because he's radioactive? I I mean, his career is by this point. <laughs> but I deal like there are no established rules. We are in the dark. The filmmakers have no clue. And they will make it up scene by scene. And we just have to roll out again and again and again. It's It's so violent. I feel like I was just dragged, just like tied to the back of a pickup and dragged through 50 feet of sharp rocks trying to figure out what's going on here. It's painful. This gun scene, I literally have watched it six times. I rewound and rewound and then I stopped the movie. I went away. I came back. I rewound 30 minutes of this movie. Just, I'm like, I'm going back to Danny Trejo again to try to figure that out. Because if I can figure out where you think he has the answer, if I can figure out where Danny Trejo came from, I could figure out anything. That was my belief. And so I see this gun scene. And yeah, he's like holding the gun. Natalie wants to shoot the witch. Yes. And he says something about tracer bullets. Like bullets are what draw her. Like she'll be able to find where they are if they shoot her her with bullets which i'm like no they're looking for you because you looked in the mirror and the dagger's also making a noise that you can stop emitting when you put your hand over it uh, i mean this is so bad i think m night Shyamalan wrote it but <laughs> you can touch the blade i thought touching the blade was bad not even being cut right. just touching it <laughs> is it because you're already covered in red vines licorice yeah it's it's <laughs> yeah it's absolutely painful to try and i mean th there are simple choices you can make if you wanted people to follow a story. No filmmaker wants to make something that is this meaningless. Right now, we have no meaning to any object on screen. We could be focused on anything, and it would convey no more information than what we're seeing here. You want to make choices that allow people to understand a set rules. That's Every filmmaker 
all the time. We want to understand what the objects on screen represent so that we can follow it over the course of change. And I am telling you, every time I get my finger on what might be going on, it is contradicted and changed, including the whole fucking thing was that the grandfather supposedly was fighting the witch with Lance Hendrickson, and then surprise, surprise, Lance Hendrickson knew all along that the grandfather wanted to be the witch? (laughs) (laughs) Because the witch knew how to live forever, and he wanted that. Or wanted to get laid. Something said about sexual favors, which I, again, I'm wondering, is this a commentary on Uva Bowl and Tara Reid or something? Is this how he works? I will say a little public service announcement. If you do decide to focus in on the dagger as the thing to follow from scene to scene, don't look at it too closely because many, many shots. It's just obviously a rubber prop thing that is just flopping around the scene. (laughs) I noticed that too. I thought that was like a property of it. Yeah, I thought at one point it was broken in half, but there's no continuity. There's no consistency. It is crazy making to try and follow anything in this film and understand it as a progression. You cannot follow anything in this movie. We just sort of stumble towards something that resembles a climax that Lance Hendrickson will have nothing to do with. I love the fact that he's just not going to leave his farm. He's like, nope, I'm staying put here. And so they just build this bizarre sequence in which we find out he has a different dagger with another heartstring in a green army case under his bed. Where did that dagger come from? Yeah, and he he straight up lies to Carnby. (laughs) Carnby had visions of this army chest. Yeah, but it was the daughter, Natalie, that ends up finding this thing and then creating some force field around her and summoning the witch out of a closet. Anybody got thoughts on that? No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it gave PJ Soul something to do. I think she came in and dusted off a lamp or something. But other than that, I don't know what this scene was. Was it product placement? A GE? Who could have gotten in on this scene? There's a lot of light flickering, but I couldn't tell you what was being conveyed. I thought maybe they were setting us up for something in the finale where it's like, okay, she could have a force field to protect herself for when the witch actually manifests herself and they can have some sort of battle. Not that I want to see that or I want the movie to go that direction, but I thought that's what they were setting up. Yeah, well, we see that Lance Hendrickson will go, he like tells fake Arnold, oh, you can't kill her with this shotgun. You got to go get my radioactive green serum and pour it over the bullets. And then you can shoot the little tequila worm in the hilt of the dagger that'll make the force field go away and make the witch go back to wherever the hell she was. But I thought in that green army chest, They just found, like, the Holy Grail because she pulls out, like, a chalice. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of shit in there from... Again, I don't know what this is supposed to mean. Does this mean that he's in on it or that he has been holding on to the idea that he could one day find the witch? He will never pick up the challenge of trying to get to the... We're told he spent his whole life trying to find out where this witch was buried. You would think that this would be the moment of, like, I'm coming out of retirement. I'm not that good as a vet. I'm killing too many animals. I'm going to go back to the witch hunting thing and join these young folk and have some sensible climax. But nope. Okay. I figured this out. Okay. I've been rewinding in here. Okay. In the green army chest was another vial with a slice of a heart. 
So it was the same dagger. There's only been one dagger. Okay. But this is another heart piece. Okay, yeah, because the other one got burned up by Michael Poiré in the sink at the beginning with the magic paper cloth. Uh-huh. Okay. Does that help you? It, it doesn't help me. It Only to a degree. <laughs> it helps them move along towards something resembling an ending, which I desperately need. I and, want it over, too. And Lance <laughs> Hendrickson is not going along. He hands them something again. We have nothing in close-up. It looks like the kind of shovel you would use for a day at the beach with a sand pail and says, good luck to you. They never use it. I don't know what it was, but that was it. He's out of the film. <laughs> well... Not yet. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We come back to him for an epilogue. They got him on one set, the farm set. They filmed many scenes, but he never went anywhere else. <laughs> never left that set, yep. <laughs> okay, so get ready to grab onto this one, because this one, just it hit me swiftly in the face. This is when I realized, wait a second, I forgot we're supposed to be in New York, because New York doesn't have farms in Manhattan. Well, it's way out in the countryside, but guess what? The reason why Sean Connery's kid carved in K and E into his chest is because when you look at a map of Central Park, it'll lead you to a four-story white building with dirty linen all over it that no one uses, and that's where the witch has a laboratory <laughs> in the basement. And Lance Hendrickson spent his entire life looking for this in Central Park and never fucking saw it. <laughs> Central Park. Park is not that big. I have walked all of Central Park, like down one side and up the other in an afternoon. You know, if there was ever a missing search, you would not need a big search party to go through Central Park. I mean, yes, Manhattan is big, and this is a large garden in the middle of it, but still, you could find it in a year. And even if it were a tiny microscopic handle on the ground, yeah, if you spent your life, you would find it. This is a very very large building with no other buildings around. <laughs> is it supposed to be a building? I thought it was a rock formation. It, no, no, it is a building. They walk into a four-story white building and then say, oh, it must be in the basement, and then spend the next ten minutes playing around with the steel door that will only lift up wide enough to allow her to crawl in. Yeah, no, they do a very ridiculous establishing shot. Like, they do it twice. They, like, show it sweeping from both sides to let us know that this is a large building they're walking into. Here's the worst part. They make their way through the maze of the basement and everything. Okay, fine. Maybe somebody could have never gotten through all of that and gotten through the major door. The way they get out is through just a sewage tunnel <laughs> behind a wall of drywall. <laughs> Magically. Yeah, they spend all this time to find the witch's grave, and guess what? It's not the witch's grave. I don't know what the hell kind of grave it is. There are dead women who get their heartstrings ripped out here and put into the little vials, but this is not where the witch is buried. It was where the witch was tied to a rock and tortured, although it wasn't really the witch. It was the women that the witch lived inside of. Yes, the donors. Yes. Okay. And this is like 10 minutes of the film. It's like wandering around, looking at whatever. There's a tiki torch, and they're just looking at every little jar. Again, no close-up shots. We don't know what they're looking at, but we see them in wide shots looking at things and going, oh, this is very important. It feels like 
an adaptation of that Atari game Haunted House. Do you remember that? When <laughs> yes. you like your little eyes going around. Like that's that's closer to that than it is Alone in the Dark at this point. And I guess we should mention they kill fake Arnold. He he was too big to fit underneath the door, so he's gotta get that shotgun and get a few shots off at the witch. And I guess Lance Hendrickson punked them that those bullets had no effect on her and she kills him off screen. He did try to help by running out and getting the carjack to a nineteen ninety two Honda Civic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so lost at this point. I don't know what anybody is doing. Mm-mm. All I know is that I think the witch is now a fan of Eminem by her fashion choices. The gray hoodie, is she going to start rapping? I'm not sure what the fuck I'm watching anymore. I think Carnby's going to die. He starts going through some convulsions, visions, and I'm like, how much is this like the game if you're killing him? And there's 20 minutes left. I can't tell you how ready I am for everything to be wrapped up here. Give me a body. Give me a little backstory. The end, right? And do whatever you're going to do. But the fact that, yeah, as Justin said, we just stumble our way through a a storm drain. And then he stumbles to a nameless wall that we don't see because it's off shot. It's out of the composition. But apparently it contains the body of a witch and you can use the dagger like a key to open it and stake her like a vampire. And that is what she wasn't supposed to do. She found a <laughs> riddle that told her, kill the witch. But the riddle really was, save the witch. So by stabbing the witch, she actually kept the witch and the witch possessed her. I mean, if I sound like I'm just babbling, like I have scarlet fever and I need to be given some refreshments and hydrated and take a week or two off from watching a movie, I agree, I probably do. But three times I watched this movie and that is what it is telling me. This is the plot. Sadly, you nailed it. (laughs) I I was so confused. What did they say? Oh, we misread and how do you fuck up that man oh not kill the witch save the witch (laughs) when Lance Hendricks is like it's too simple everybody's gonna read it I mean I could walk we could tiptoe through all of this and I think we would just find recommends yeah we would find that it would never make sense but the best is yet to come no 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 because they've gone back to Lance Hendrickson after Taking the witch, and that meant that poor Natalie is now possessed by the witch, which is, I think, what she wanted all along. She wanted a new body. She needed to get out of the park, and this was her ticket because her mother was buried in Central Park. She could only be a fan of. <laughs> this is like some fucking Kaiser Soze yeah, witch. I mean, <laughs> I'm like trying to help them pulling strings here and there, but the best way to deal with her now is to dunk her head in a. <laughs> <laughs> a bucket of water. <laughs> All right, to translate, he's cracking up. They take the possessed woman and they shove her head into a bucket of water to drown her. <laughs> oh my god! And keep in mind, this is his girlfriend. Somehow they started dating during all of this. So he's like, "Oh, sorry. I guess I just have to fucking drown you while you're bobbing for apples." <laughs> and the witch is like trying to come on to him, but they're already dating. <laughs> right, stab me while I went up 
stopping you, straddling you. <laughs> Meanwhile, like she shot Lance Hendrickson in the face. I mean, it is. I mean, <laughs> he's bleeding from a head wound. <laughs> I have no air left to laugh. And it's he's all fine. gone from my lungs. He's fine. He <laughs> shot in the head. I'm like, wow, that was an unexpected death of Lance Hendrickson. He gets back off. It's like Monty Python. It's only a flesh. He wound. takes one to the knee. They shoot him again in the leg. <laughs> and not only that, he's cheering him on. Wait for it. Hold it down. <laughs> he's given instructions. Don't let her out of the bucket yet. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, don't worry. Just stab her in the heart with the dagger and she'll be fine. And she is because it's that kind of movie. It's that kind of movie where you can dunk someone in their pool tank. And then revive them with a dagger to the heart. <sighs> All done off camera so that you can't actually establish what anything is doing. And that's saving the witch then, apparently? Like, how does this resolve anything? I I know that the dagger is on the ground glowing as they go off arm in arm, uh, the three of them, to do something in the house. I think the glowing means the witch's spirit's in the knife. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Sure. I'll give it to you. Justin Stewart. <laughs> How terrible is Alone in the Dark 2? Justin? The line that Stewart was just alluding to, I actually wrote down word for word, because I think it's the perfect summation of this movie. And it's when Lundberg tells Carnaby, he says, it kills the soul, not the body. <laughs> yes, this movie does. Yeah, it does. Very much so. My soul is dead. And yet I'm still walking around. <laughs> Arnie, you mentioned up top. I felt like this movie might have some potential. The first 15 minutes of it, it felt a little bit more legit and it felt better lit. It didn't have the herky jerkiness and all that oof bowl crap that we had to deal with last time. It felt like a little bit more of a low budget, but maybe going to be somewhat of a tighter story that could happen here. And it just all unravels. They don't know where they're going at all. They don't know what they're trying to do. And like I said, it was halfway through the movie that I even realized that this was about a witch. I was the entire movie waiting for those damn alien dogs to show up to give me <laughs> some sort of thread of why I'm watching Alone in the Dark 2. None of it made sense to me. And I guarantee you, I was convinced that this movie was made on the shelf. Somebody said, slap Alone in the Dark 2 on it. Get it out on video. You know, I had way more fun reviewing it with you guys than I did ever watching it. So, yeah, this is not going to get close to a brown arrow, but it is a definite hard not recommend. Stuart. Yeah, it is one of the most confusing and meaningless movies we've ever covered. It is one of the worst. And it, again, I predicted that taking Uva Bowl out of the mix would just instantly improve it several notches, and it got worse. It got worse when he left the project and left it to the inept screenwriters who clearly didn't even know how to document things with a camera. They did not get the coverage. It is absolute nonsense. And do not watch for any reason. Do not watch if you want to laugh. If you've been laughing along with us, keep it there. You're not going to have this kind of entertainment sitting through this movie. Do not watch if you're prone to suicidal thoughts. <laughs> it will confirm your most horrific existential crisis. If you've ever worried that you're wasting your life, watching this is proof. You are. You're wasting your life committing any time to this film. It is so awful and it's so unfair that Uva Bowl got rich 
of making this and hurting people in this way. And it is not fair that one half of this directing team, Roche, is getting to direct another movie. IMDb is confirming this is not the end of his career. He has somehow <laughs> made something called Berlin Underground, and it is coming out this year. And this must not happen. I feel as passionate about stopping this shit as they wanted to keep the dagger away from the witch. We could not let the earth not take another film made in this way. Can we do a million movie fan march in Washington? Whatever. We need to get the people together and find out where this movie is and destroy it in whatever fashion it exists. I don't care what it is. A sight unseen. Like looking in that witch mirror, it can't be done. We must stop this director, if I must call them as such, from putting out more harmful material. This is, <laughs> it's cancer for your eyes. The harshest of not recommends. I agree. I thought for sure, without Uva, you gave me hope last week. That hope was dashed. The start of this movie gave me hope. That hope was dashed. I am finding it so hard to believe, but you said nobody should watch this movie. Yes. I think there is a group of people who should. Okay. Insomniacs. <laughs> because <laughs> drowsiness, feeling abnormally sleepy, is a common side effect of Alone in the Dark too. I will admit, the very first time I tried to watch it a few days ago, I did fall asleep yes. and dreamed a better movie ending than this provided. <laughs> I mean, Alone in the Dark 2 can affect your ability to drive, operate machinery, or do other things that require alertness. It affects some people more than others. Please check with your doctor before watching Alone in the Dark 2. Yeah. And do not taunt Alone in the Dark (laughs) 2. I mean, seriously, we just had this conversation about the worst movie we've ever reviewed. I couldn't fucking guess that a few weeks later we would see something that makes Deep Blue Sea 2 look like Citizen fucking Kane. It's true. I I agree. I, I, I should not even predict that anymore. Guess what? We got... Ten more Uva fucking bull movies to to cherish. So why should we think that this one's going to be the bottom? It's probably just the opening sampler. You know, the line, I, I also wrote down the line about it kills the soul, not the body. But there's another line in this movie that I really took to heart. Don't ever do that again (laughs) burn it (laughs) nothing must remain that was my favorite quote (laughs) i mean this is a blazing red arrow oh you know it did not kill the game franchise i think the real shocker is keep in mind atari wanted the sequel to come out to help the promotion of a new game as if anyone would want more of whatever's coming at them off of this screen but the 2008 game came out i don't know how it was received horror Horribly. <laughs> Absolutely the worst thing ever. Like, you see explosions and they didn't even bother putting in a sound effect. It's, it's a game that's intended to be played online multiplayer. And if you try to play it alone, you just die endlessly. But yet it's hard to find anybody who bought the game to play with. It is considered the nail in the alone in the dark coffin. Are you talking about the new thing that came out a couple of years ago? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that was what... That's what I was saying. I was surprised another one 
one came out after 2008. Alone in the Dark Illumination. Yeah, it basically it's like Crombie's kid teams up with a witch and a priest and an engineer to do something in a mining town, but that bad. All right. Yeah, I don't feel like it has a lot of potential to be a online player game for sure. That doesn't make any sense. On the funny thing is, Carnby teams up with a witch. The multiplayer thing, one person is Carnby, one person's a witch. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> can't beat them, destroy everyone else. Is there any reason to reboot this? I mean, I honestly think these things are so bad that you just would never evoke the spirit of something that had been touched. Like the dagger itself, if it's been touched by this, you don't hire Christian Slater again. You don't hire Rick Yoon again. They're all dead to me. Nothing. Tara Reid survived on sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, she's in Sharknado, right? Yeah, all of them. Yeah. I mean, unless there's some sort of other movie-making state that they can figure out a way to monetize the loopholes and tax incentives from... Hell, maybe we should do it. I've got 18 days, and we could probably kickstart $18 million to throw something together here. This was only $4.5 million. Yeah. Oh, hell, let's do it. We'll, we'll start in June. Mm-hmm. Put our money where our <laughs> mouth is. We think we can do better. Yeah, I think we could do better than this. We like, could not do worse. Yeah, I, I agree that it's, it's a confidence booster. I would show this to people that are... Yeah, starting out at, maybe at film school, like every way not to make a movie. It's just so bad. You actually, I actually would be okay with never seeing another movie again if it meant that I didn't get hurt this bad. Like it's just <laughs> that awful. I don't ever want to see a movie if it can do this to me. I'm never going to watch again. <laughs> oh, George Michael. You had to pop back up. <laughs> right back in that damn bathroom. We will be going back to the video games. We're going to take a little bit of time off. We but, must. Yes. We have to. We're I can't going, do it. We're going to cover Ant-Man and the Wasp next week. It's the uh, Marvel movie I care about least, and yet suddenly, I love it. It's great. It's in focus. I can see clear compositions. I know where people are standing, and they, there's a plot. They might even have had a third unit in addition to a second <laughs> unit. <laughs> but there is an ant game called It Came from the Desert. It looks a little bit like those 50s radiation makes the animals go crazy movie and makes giant ants. I don't remember this game from 1989. It came from the desert. It came from Twitter. I've never heard of the movie. <laughs> I've never heard of the game. If it wasn't for one of our listeners more obsessive than we, we wouldn't even be doing it. But here we go. Yes. In two weeks, we return by covering that movie based on that game. But we're going to take an Ant-Man break first. And this Friday, I hope you can join us for Silver Level. We reach the conclusion with the first perch. And again will be better than Alone in the Dark 2, period. Oh, my God. I've had bowel movements better than this film. Yeah, (laughs) I I want to purge Uva Bowl and to know that not only do I have to endure more of his crass, cynical, I'm making money by making films so bad they won't make a profit, but that we're essentially instructing other people to go out there and follow us on this limbing dive off a cliff. (laughs) (laughs) It's just an awful feeling. It's an awful, I feel very alone in this darkness, but I guess at least I can take a few of you motherfuckers with me. (laughs) And I don't condone pirating, but come on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He stole, who stole first? That's what I want to know. That fucker stole everything. (laughs) I feel like starting my own torrent site just for you and bull stuff. (laughs) 
<laughs> we don't have to worry about him for several months, but yeah, come this September, we will be facing off two House of the Deads, and in October, we will be looking at Postal, so... Hey, uebola.com is available. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Alright, and again, I just must reiterate, like a Surgeon General's warning, we are all slap happy at this point. Mm. We are like war buddies who came out of it and are laughing. Remember how Joe died? <laughs> I mean, that's really where we're at. Yeah, do really not is. do not take this laughter as a mm. sign that you will enjoy anything in this film. Mm. We're just traumatized. Yeah, exactly. I, I was reading about some kind of new therapy for post-traumatic stress, this EMDR therapy that you give for post-traumatic stress. I think I need it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, it couldn't hurt. It's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I need a way to reprocess this movie. <laughs> Don't watch this movie. I'm serious. The Red Arrow is not this movie's bad. This movie's toxic. It, oh my god. I would rather go to Chernobyl than watch this movie again. I mean, seriously, don't do it. Don't do it. You know what? You want to break up with somebody? You say we're going to watch this movie. It'll take care of itself. It's that bad. Oh, it really is. It really is. Because if you decided on a date night to show me this movie, fuck you. I'm yeah. gone. Yeah. It says an awful lot about you. You then look at me and say, I love this movie, don't you? We're done. I can't respect you in the morning. All right. Well, Justin Stewart, kumbaya. Thank you for holding my hand through this experience. Yeah, we're done with it. The good news is it's over for now. I'm not even kidding. I normally, when I buy a movie for this show, and then I am done, I throw it up on our eBay store. Mm -hmm. There will be a YouTube video of me burning this <laughs> in a sink in a bathroom in Central Park, I hope. You have to do what they do in the movie, though. Yeah. You have to sprinkle gasoline on it mm -hmm. and then just toss the rest of the can over your shoulder without a care before tossing a match in the general direction. Yeah, burn it. Nothing must remain. I want to go back to the store where I bought it and do that to the whole place. But the, you didn't even buy two. They didn't have it. They knew better. They had the place scrub for pests and that movie left. <laughs> A direct-to-video movie that you can't find. You know what? <laughs> Best Buy paid for an exclusive Blu-ray release. <laughs> Only at Best Buy. <laughs> Wait, this movie? Yeah. <laughs> Is the witch running the fucking store? <laughs> Who would do that kind of fucking curse to the customer? Ooh, <laughs> God damn that man. Until next time, game over. <laughs> <laughs> Burn it! Burn it! Nothing must remain. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Some doors are meant to stay shut. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. 
Once you make it down here alive, you're already dead. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Resident Evil, Doom, Final Fantasy, Prince of Persia, Super Mario Brothers, The King of Kong, Tomb Raider, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, Rampage, Wing Commander, Mortal Kombat, and more. This signal's getting closer. We have to go. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. The answers I've been looking for my whole life could be on the other side of this thing. Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. Now give it to me! Give it to me! Just give it to him. There's been enough killing today. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. It's your responsibility now. Just you. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. It's not about how. It's about how much. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Your grandfather sold you. And now she intends to come and collect. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. What price are you willing to pay, Carmi? What are you willing to pay? If you enjoy Now Playing, please head to iTunes and leave us a five-star listing. It's the best way to help spread the word about the podcast. He's an idealist. They're the worst. I know, I was one once myself. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Have you ever seen anything like this before? You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Let's get out of here! No, I gotta get back there! I gotta get closer to Look, it! Look, you can hear them! Let's get the hell out of here! Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You must be very proud. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Heath and Arnie. Let me look at you. You've been getting enough sleep? Now playing credits read by Brock. Give me one reason why I should ever even speak to you again. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. The list of people I trust is short. I want to make it any shorter. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. 
They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You're putting us all in danger. No matter what you do, the witch will come for you. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Now you can either work with us or you'll end up a dead man. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. You should know, someone always has to die. It's not gonna be me! Rick Yoon, from Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Mm. He's from the first one. Oh, he's from the first one? I thought yeah, remember there was that Asian guy that challenged him to a fight that never amounted to anything? That's Rick Yoon. Oh, While yeah, he was stealing Johnny the stereos. Okay, yeah, all right. Okay. In the green army chest was another slice. I'm smashing shit because this movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs>